welcome Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights, here with Rich Klein. Thanks, Tops, for putting out the cards and carrying the ball from 55 to 80, being the very dominant sole producer of nationally distributed larger sets that were enduring. But also thanks to Beckett Media, Beckett uh, Grading and Authentication, ComC.com, Mike Stanley, Sports Card, Burbank Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, Huggins Scott Auctions, and I don't want to forget Panini and Upper Deck. Welcome, Rich. 66 Tops held our interest. You could get the first few series. In fact, I still had tons of first series, but that last series, there's some short prints there. One of my favorite short print stories in 66 is a three-player Cardinal rookie card with George Corinth in it. Our mutual friend, Roger Neufeld, knows George Corinth because I guess he went to work for the Oklahoma school system. So he worked with his wife and worked with Roger. It was his only major league card. So not only was it a tougher 66 card, but when they were cheaper and reasonably priced, George would buy them for himself. <laughs> so you have the double thing. Not only a tough card, but you're competing with the guy who's actually on the card. I think there were 100,000 of them printed of each player. Would you say over or under? That may be a reasonable number. And 100,000 cards sounds like a lot, but with all the cards that have got thrown away by mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters over the years, and then some who get damaged. If you have a tough high number, if there's 500,000 first series cards, and there's 100,000 last series cards, some of them become really tough. Like Kurt Flood, who's picking up all those Kurt Flood 64 tops? That was a 64 card that the guy was picking up. But how many did he get to? He had basically a house full of them. Well, a thousand? He had more than that. Wow. You can't corner the market, I don't think, but but In fact, everybody got to know him because he would go quietly to the shows and people started jacking up the prices because they knew they had a ready buyer on the card. A Kurt Flood card, it's a 64 card, the year the Cardinals won the World Series. It's a low number card. And my guess at the time was that the guy was eight, nine years old in 64, which he was. The Cardinals were his favorite team. Kurt Flood, you can understand why he's the guy's favorite player. And it's like for him just being young. If the Hall of Fame announced that Kurt Flood was going to be put in the Hall of Fame under whatever, would you be shocked? No, I think that's a long overdue thing. In my opinion, Baseball Hall of Fame is missing what other sports have, the contributors category. Buck O'Neill would have been in 20 years ago as a contributor. Somebody like Bill James could make the Hall of Fame as a contributor. Kurt Flood changed the game by what he did about free agency, by taking it all the way he did, even though he didn't win the case. He's a contributor to baseball. Yeah, but he was a great player, too. Yes, he was. He was a great defensive player, for sure, and not a bad hitter. No, and he had 335 in 1967. It's not like he was, as you said, a bad player. He was a 290 career hitter. And he just wanted to finish his career in St. Louis, where he was beloved. And he had an art gallery. I think he may have even had a restaurant. He just wanted to stay there. Okay. You're saying he was a career 290 hitter. I believe in my lifetime or your lifetime, somebody will lead the league in hitting below 300. Could very well happen. Luis Arias, I think, had 316 or 319 and led the American League last year. We're not that far away. You know why? Because guys like him won't get to play. Because he can hit, but he doesn't hit for enough power. They'd rather have somebody with a higher slugging percentage than somebody with a higher batting average. So Kurt Flood's 290 might look pretty good. 
wow, he hit 290. That's all-star level. Okay, but 66 tops. Even though in the Beckett OPG, they have the same price for 64, 65, 66, 66, I think, is way tougher to put together. The first couple series are even easier than 64 and 5. Yes. But that hot last series is much tougher. One of the bigger differences, there aren't really great high number rookie cards. Your best rookies in 66 are Jim Palmer. He's card number 26. Yes. Don Sutton, he's 288. Fergie Jenkins, like number 254. All your key are in lower series cards. And that's one of the bigger differences. Oh, the best high number is Grant Jackson. Yes, it is. That's, yeah, 591. When I was writing for Sports Collectors Daily, I had a running battle, let's say, with Rich Muller because he was trying to complete a set and he'd go, it can't be that tough. Finally, he realized, yeah, it is that tough. (laughs) The Grant Jackson card we always knew was a tough card. But he wasn't the only one. We knew Willie Davis was a tough card. We knew Billy Williams was a tough card. We knew Dennis Dale McLean was a tough card. The Tigers team card was a tough card. We knew the many of the cards were tough cards. I don't know if I've ever seen a sheet of 66 high numbers, but we know which cards are tough. Just well, by experience. I, like I said, I got a kind of a cut high series card case that I had to split with this other guy, but it was pretty much split down the middle. I don't think he took all the good guys and I took the bad guys or vice versa, but you're right. All those guys you mentioned, they were tougher. And so it's very likely there were short prints that the distribution on the sheet was not one for one. There were some rows that were repeated. Which to me, I love symmetry and order, but now looking all the way back to 1933 or before to make certain cards or card tougher, that adds to the chase and the challenge. There's a hockey yeah. set in the 20s, and there's a Casey Stengel card in some Canadian set that you have to get and right. have finished the set. To, so the tougher cards go all the way back. You know, Maple Chris. But, but this is real scarcity or real difficulty instead of the modern manufacturer. And that's why some people like these better because it's a challenge to get them. I'm not even talking about condition. It's just a challenge to get the card. It's still contrived because they configured the sheet that way, but it wasn't contrived in the way Stengel and these other ones you're talking about. They were actually held back, actually removed and made more difficult. That's really being contrived. If you have double prints and single prints, to me, that's somewhat contrived, but it's not unfair. Those double prints and single prints. There was no real rhyme or reason. It's not, hey, we're just going to make all our best players single prints. Which now they do that in some of the short print poses. There's a disproportionate number of of these variations, I think, that are with guys that have demand in their own. I looked at the checklist. And the scarcity thing for the new Topps Big League product. And it's like a gradated scarcity. For the most part, the best players are in the scarcer series. Yeah. Topps Heritage did that for a few years where they loaded the one and fours with the best cards in the set. For the most part, they sprinkled a few better players into the lower cards, but mostly the one and fours were better players. It's now reversed back to just more of a mix. I like it when you can get an indication based on the number of the card, whether I like something on the card that gives me a clue as to whether it's tougher. If you're looking at 66 tops, that you get up into the 500 numbers, or it start at 523? 523, Bob Sadowski. Okay, so if I see something above 523, if that's in the dollar box, how? That goes, if you wait a minute, it's already gone because you pulled it out before me. But if you weren't there before me, I'm not going to let that sit. That's a good card. This would be one of the few things you and I would overlap in. You won't find too many in a dollar box. No, but you would have found it if it was there. But in a value box, you and I would both be looking 
You might be focused more on modern than I would, but I would definitely be buying those cards. If you got their first rich, you're entitled to it. But there's some overlap there because, again, you and I are both really tuned in more equally, I think, than some people to supply and demand. Okay? And frankly, on some of those cards, the demand at a show is not high, but that's where your employer comes. Those cards sell. I picked up on Saturday for a dollar. And it was in very rough shape, but I did get a 66 McLean out of the dollar box. It would be a one minus, <laughs> but it was still a dollar. It's a tougher high number. I knew that. It's like, okay, I'm just buying this. I didn't worry about, it could have been written on. Denny McLean gambled on baseball. I still would have bought it. Would you say that's his best card? Yeah, it is. He, we should do something on Denny McLean. Yeah. Denny McLean has a fascinating short card history as yeah. The rookie card, then the second year is a high number, 68, 69, 71, he's got a high number, 73, he's got a high number. Denny McLean has a great card history in a 10-year period it's amazing. You know, that it's cannot amazing. be replicated today. His life cannot be replicated. He no, very he's still living, which you would wonder, Joe Pepitone passed recently, he's another of these people you wonder, how did Joe Pepitone ever get to 82 years old? They're both you know, American anomalies. And again, to win 31 games? To even start 31 games. Yeah, he won 31 games that year. Yeah. They wanted the ball. They wanted to give me the ball. Pitched, I believe, 336 game. innings that season. The managers didn't even go out to the mound because they'd be scowled at. They'd be rejected by the pitchers. Do you go to the mound to take out Bob Gibson? <laughs> you want to deal with Bob Gibson? He'd fire a high hard one into the dugout, maybe. <laughs> he just was a tough guy. Gosh. Okay. Yeah, so, these players nowadays, their personality is different than they were back then. But if you really knew the players had a personality, if you knew how to really dig in the newspaper, read between the lines, read the sporting news between the lines, a lot of these guys had a really good personality and you could really learn a lot about them. But most of their foibles were kept out of the newspaper, but you could learn if you knew the code words. I think they weren't copycats back in those days. Nowadays, People see what other people are doing and what's getting attention. They do some of that that may not even be true to themselves. They're trying to be somebody and to get attention. And those guys in 66, they were individuals. They weren't looking at anybody else. They were just being themselves. And they weren't creating a persona. They were a persona. You were talking about tops, 64, 65, doing the tall boys or the larger football cards in terms of the size. Yeah. 66, all the cards are normal size. Do you think they printed less 66 high numbers because they went to normal size football cards because they realized they goofed up the year before and they wanted to get more 66s out? So you're thinking 66 high numbers, they didn't print as many because they wanted to get a good running start on football because they'd messed up the year before. And they thought, we're going to do Evoke 55 Bowman, the TV set of thing, to go with a proven updated design. That's possible, Rich. That's possible. Remember, 66, they're also printing all over the world all those Batman cards. The hottest thing in TV was Batman. And there are like four or five different Batman sets in 66. Gosh, that could Batman have been bigger than football in 66? It was more popular than football. Maybe not in terms of TV viewership, but in terms of what the kids were buying. The kids were buying Batman anything. I'm saying in the cards. To me, the golden age of non-sport cards was in the 50s. But the 60s also had some really good, interesting sets, too, of the Beatles. And when you, you hear about tops, same deal. In 64, 
I think that's when they started doing the top sets of Beatles. Maybe. The Beatles hit an American 64, and the Beatles have the tops cards, the OPG cards, and the British A, B, and C cards. So there's a whole bunch of different Beatles sets in 64. But the tops cards were printed at the tops factory. Correct. In Duryea, in Pennsylvania. So it's not in New York, but they had a printing plant. Much simpler than they are now because there weren't insertion ratios really in the same way for game used or case. And if you really want to go back in time, it's a really cool video. There's a Topps promotional video from like 67. It shows the kids opening 67 high number packs. So Topps was doing fun things. And they were definitely basing stuff for the kids, which is why I was wondering about the football or the non-sports in 66 where they didn't have quite the same competition in 65 and 64. They had the Beatles, but the Beatles didn't have as many sets, I think, as Batman did in 64, because you had Beatles cards, but then you didn't have Beatles comic cards. With Batman, you have the TV series, and you have the comics. Tops had to have a fabulous year then in 64 and 66, because that was just running the presses and printing money almost. And you didn't have player licensing. Actually, the Beatles probably weren't cheap, but for superstars, but probably Cyberger carved out a deal. And the mantle card is, I believe, card number 50. And to me, it's one of the three easy mantle cards 64, 66, and 68. Yeah. Which, it's not that 69 is tough, but it's got the career stats on it. Career stats, yeah. And white letters. And white letters. And 67 is not tough, but it's just a beautiful photo. A beautiful card. Could you imagine if you had the 66? Really tough high numbers with the 67? That would add demand to it, I think. Yeah. Because I think 67 is one of the most beautiful sets of the season. six. The Orioles, first time they ever won the World Series. But they're not really a magic team in the way the 67 Red Sox or the 68 Tigers become a magic team. A little extra interest, but it's not quite the same. They'd only been the Orioles for 15 years or something. So they didn't have enough. They were the Orioles 100 years ago, but not. Yeah, they were the Orioles in the two. <laughs> then that Oriole team's become the Highlanders who become the Yankees. This comes from St. Louis where they win one pennant yeah, as the Browns right. in 1944. So yeah, you're right. The franchise does not have the same history. Rich, thanks for your good insights. And thanks listeners. See you in a couple of days.